Welcome to the March of History. I am your host, Trevor Furness, back with episode 26 of the March of History podcast. We left off last time with Caesar in Gaul. His cavalry force of allied Gallic tribes was routed by a Helvetian force that was only one-eighth their size. On top of this, Caesar's ally, the Aedui, were not providing food to his army as they had promised. After a lot of digging, Caesar finally got to the bottom of this mystery and figured out that it was the brother of a prominent druid, a man by the name of Dumnorix, who was the main cause of the food being withheld from his army. Caesar outmaneuvers this man, Dumnorix, and has him placed under guard. He gets the food back on track to his army, but this food will not arrive for some time, so it's still quite a worry to him and his soldiers. And that's where we pick up today, in episode 26. Now, later that same day, after Caesar had put Dumnorix under guard, his scouts come to him, and they tell him that the Helveti have camped on a hill about seven Roman miles away from Caesar's camp. And just for your reference, a Roman mile was about 0.92 of our miles today. So that's about six and a half, exactly 6.44 miles away from Caesar. So Caesar sends some other of his scouts to do some reconnaissance of the area. And they report back to him that the hill on the opposite side of where the Helvetii are camped is climbable and it is empty. And they report to him that it's actually quite easy for them to climb this hill. So Caesar sits down and devises a plan of attack. He decides that his second-in-command, the man named Titus Labienus, blessed with a great name for history, would take two legions during the night and sneak up on the backside of the hill, unbeknownst to the Helvetii, of course. And Caesar would take the remaining four legions in the early morning before dawn and begin marching them the seven Roman miles towards the enemy. Now, when dawn came, suddenly... The Helvetii, who are perched and camped on the side of this hill, would see Caesar and his four legions approaching, and they would prepare for battle. But before they knew it, there would suddenly be a Roman army on top of the hill, above them, on their own hill. So now they no longer have the high ground, and they're surrounded on two different sides, both the front and the back, by Roman armies. A deadly trap. And here we can see the beginnings of Caesar's brilliance as a commander. He's seizing the initiative, he's being creative, he's utilizing terrain and the element of surprise, and perhaps most importantly, he is putting his soldiers in an advantageous position to win, which they will not soon forget. And so, as the plan is drawn up, Labianus departs from the camp with his two legions in the early morning before dawn or at nighttime, and two hours after Labianus, Caesar departs with the other four legions. And Caesar and his four legions march until they arrive about a mile short of the Helvetii camp. And in the Gallic commentary, Caesar even says that he later learns from prisoners of the Helvetii that he captures that the Helvetii were not aware of either army. So they weren't aware of, of course, the guys waiting up on the hill to ambush them, but they also weren't aware of the bigger Roman army coming with Caesar towards them, only a mile away. So this is a complete surprise. But, right when the Romans are about a mile out, a military veteran, a man named Publius Considius, not a very important person in history, but a very important person to this story. This man was part of the scouting party 
that had been out exploring in front of Caesar's army. And he rides back at this point to Caesar's army and he tells them in alarm that Labienus is not where he's supposed to be. That the hill where he's supposed to be on the opposite side of the Helvetii is actually held by the enemy. And this man, Considius, is emphatic about this. He says that he could tell that they were enemy soldiers by the weapons that they were wielding and by the emblems he saw on the soldiers themselves. Now, Caesar even says in the commentaries that Considius was a veteran of great military reputation who had served both Sola and Crassus. And therefore, Caesar takes this man at his word. He's a trustworthy source. But this news is very disturbing because it means that something has happened to Labienus and his two legions. They've either got lost along the way and not ended up on the hill they're supposed to be on, or they've been found by the enemy and defeated. Caesar's not sure which. So he makes the conservative decision and he relies on his subordinates' intel. And he aborts the plan altogether at this point, and he moves the bulk of his army, the four legions with him, to a nearby hill, not the one the Helvetii are on, but a different hill, and orders them to prepare for battle. Now, he had a few different reasons for doing this, and chief among these was that his troops were tired from the long march they had just done, some six and a half miles, or, or five and a half miles, I guess. And two of his legions are likely inexperienced legions that have not been to war before, and he doesn't trust them yet. Sensibly, he didn't want tired, inexperienced legions walking right into an ambush on ground of the enemy's choosing. Again, this is something that his soldiers would see that he's doing for them and appreciate because they probably had past commanders that would have blundered right into a trap. But Caesar and his legions end up sitting on that hill for most of the day, just trying to learn what happened to Labienus. Where did he go? And it's not until later in that day that Caesar would learn from his scouts that Labienus and his legions were actually in possession of the hill, where they were supposed to be and ready to attack at the appointed time. But Labienus had orders to wait for the appearance of Caesar and the rest of his army before attacking, so he had stayed put all day long. This means that the Helvetii were waking up and going about their business and packing up their camp and moving on with no idea that there were two Roman legions on the other side of the hill that they were camped on waiting to ambush and kill them. They had no idea. But by the time Caesar gets this news and realizes that Labienus was in the desired position the entire time, it's too late. The Helvetii have already packed up and moved on with their camp. Talk about dodging a bullet from their perspective. And also, I just want to say a little word about the Helvetii scouts, or, or lack thereof. How was nobody walking around the hill that they're camped on? I mean, I, I, I get maybe it was a, quite a large hill if it could hide two armies, but still, you should have some kind of scouts riding around the hill figuring out if there's an enemy nearby. And these guys had no idea about either army approaching them. So they're definitely lacking in organization, in, or at least in scouting. Now, in this blunder, in the commentaries, Caesar clearly passes the blame onto this man, Considius. He even goes on to say, quote, Considius had been so terrified that he had reported seeing what he had not, in fact, seen at all, end quote. That's direct from Caesar's mouth in the commentaries. Now, it's no doubt, Considius screwed up, 
But I don't know that it's fair to attribute his blunder to terror on his part. That's probably the gravest insult you could lay at, at the feet of an old veteran soldier, right? It could have just as easily been that his vision was poor or that it was just before dawn and tough to see. And let's just see this from Considius's perspective for a moment. Could you imagine if you were a person like him whose entire life is invisible to history except for the biggest and most humiliating mistake you ever made in your entire life? To the point where 2,000 years later, people speaking in languages that have not yet been invented in lands that you have never heard of, continents that your people have not discovered, are talking about your screw-up 2,000 years later. Not to mention a humiliating mistake that is in the part of your life that you are most proud of. He is a proud veteran soldier, and this humiliation is you know, exactly what he identifies as, as a, as a soldier. This is a humiliation on his part as a soldier. And it's all history remembers about this man. Just imagine that about yourself. You know, Whatever your job is, if you're a musician, if you're a captain of a ship, if you work at a factory, if you're in sales, whatever it is, if the entire world for thousands of years was just going to remember your biggest mistake you ever made at work and nothing else about you, nothing good that you ever did. And this is what I mean when I say that most of history is dark until someone like Caesar comes along and just lights it up because everybody writes about him. And just by being in his proximity, the light of history is shined upon you for better or for worse, so you better come prepared to do your best because if you don't, history is going to remember it. And that's all they're going to remember about you because once Caesar moves away from you, that light's no longer shined on you anymore. But either way, Considius did play a huge part in this debacle and deserves a lot of blame. Just maybe not all of the blame. Because Caesar and Labienus seem to have been keeping in poor communication with each other if Caesar had no idea that Labienus was on the appointed hill at the appointed time. And even if communication between them was not possible for whatever reason, maybe Labienus was afraid that sending out a scout would be seen by the enemy and that that would tip them off to the ambush and, and put his men at risk. Or maybe it was just very difficult to navigate at night, land that they were unfamiliar with. Regardless of all these things, why did Caesar not send out additional scouts to confirm sooner? Why did it take until late in the day for them to figure out that he was in the appointed spot? I mean, I'll say, just to play devil's advocate on my devil's advocate, that in his defense, it's likely he didn't want to send too many scouts out because he didn't want to risk alerting the enemy if Flabianus was in position. But still, it, the whole thing is a debacle. And it's an example of Caesar and his soldiers not quite being in lock and step yet. This is not the well-oiled machine of efficiency that would emerge from Gaul after nine years of constant campaigning where they're just an absolute machine of war that just demolishes everything in their way. This is not them yet. They're still learning about each other. They're still learning about who can be trusted. They're learning about each other's styles, communicating with each other. So this is, this is an example of kind of that early stages where they're still making mistakes. But with this debacle over, Caesar begins to stalk the Helvetii again. Because, like I said, by the time he realized that Labienus was in place, they had already moved on. But as he's stalking them, he soon realizes that food should be his number one priority. 
At this point, he's only a few days away from the next time he's scheduled to distribute rations to his troops. And at this point, he does not have the rations to distribute to them. So let me rephrase that. In about a few days' time, he didn't say exactly how many. He says like maybe two, maybe three. He's supposed to distribute food to the soldiers, food that he does not have. That's a big problem. Now, the Romans were not far from a town called Bibracte, or Bibract, which was the wealthiest of the Idoe towns. So seeing this, Caesar diverts his army's course and makes a beeline for the town. And the Helvetis see the Romans changing course, and they learn additional information from runaway slaves that come from Caesar's army. And the Helvetis then change their course and begin to pursue the Romans. Now the cat has become the mouse. In the commentary, Caesar said that it's possible that the Helvetis saw the Romans fleeing and therefore decided that it was good for them to chase, or that they wanted to block the Romans from getting food. We're unsure of which, but either way, they saw the Romans running and they said, let's chase them. We're on the advantage now. And they begin to harass the Roman rearguard, much as the Romans had been doing to them only a few days previously. But Caesar is not a man who likes being put in the position of the mouse in this game of cat and mouse. So he concentrates his forces on the nearest hill he can find and has them halt there. He then sends his cavalry out to fight the Helvetii and keep them at bay as he organizes his army for battle. And that is where we're going to end for today. And I know I said this episode we would get to the big battle. It looks like it's going to be next episode now because there's a lot of information in that battle, and I think it deserves an episode of its own. Now, in next episode, Caesar will turn and face the Helvetii, and they will, this time I promise, finally end up in open combat. And really, his first test of a true pitched battle as proconsul of the various provinces that he's proconsul of. Now, in other announcements, it seems that Spain has reopened at least part of the country to travel, and we're allowed to travel within the province of Andalusia over Christmas and New Year's uh, break. So, I will be headed to Cadiz, which was called Gades back in the time of Caesar, where he would have been governor of Further Gaul, and where he saw the statue of Alexander and broke down into tears. And then I will be headed to Malaga and Granada and possibly even more. It depends what time allows. But I'll be seeing all the incredible Islamic architecture that is so unique to Andalusia, including the Alhambra. So expect lots of history posts on the Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook regarding all of these cities and possibly more. This also means, though, that after this episode, we may not have a new episode for several weeks. Possibly not until December 21st, though we'll see about that because I want to see if this week I can record a few different episodes and get a backlog going for you guys and then while I'm away, put those out. That way there's not such a big break, but we'll play that one by ear. But just know that there could be a possible break in episodes during that time and if you want to stay tuned and find out what's happening as we get closer, feel free to follow all of our social media accounts. You can follow the Instagram at the March of History, Twitter at March underscore History, the Facebook if you search the March of History, and our email is the March of History at gmail.com. If you want to shoot us an email as a fan or give us any feedback, uh, whether it's critical feedback or just let us know that you like the show, either or is fine. We're happy to receive it all. 
Don't forget to rate the podcast if you can, if you listen on an Apple device, and subscribe wherever you listen. That way you get notifications on new episodes. And that is all for this week, and we will see you next time on the March of History when Caesar takes on the Helvetii once and for all. Yeah.